I'd like to welcome everyone signing on with us on Facebook Live right now or on our podcast online. Do you guys listen to that when you're not here? Somebody told me yesterday they did. I was like, oh, that's great. I don't know if people do or not. That's good. That's good. Well, it's my great joy to welcome you today. My name is Josh Houston. I'm one of the pastors here at Dwell Church, and I want to start by saying thank you. Thank you for your presence this morning. I understand the nature of life in L.A., busy schedules, passion projects, traffic. Um, it's just an inconvenient city to live in, right? And then trying to rest on the weekends. So f- for me, uh, a person's presence, um, being able to see people and look them in the eyes and smell their breath, unfortunately, sometimes, like, I, it matters to me, you know? Like, I'd rather, I'd rather smell you than see you on social media, honestly. So thank you for being here. Thank you for your presence in the room this morning. I don't take that lightly. And I consider it a privilege to be able to, to have space to speak into your lives this morning. I also want to acknowledge if we have any veterans in the room. Any veterans? No? Any family of veterans? Yes. What branch? The Navy. Awesome. Um, it's easy to slip into, with it being, you know, Veterans Weekend, Veterans Weekend this weekend. I think, is it today is Veterans Day, actually? Yeah. On the calendar, it says Veterans Day is today, right? Yeah. It's easy to slip into this, like, frustration, and we complain about, we complain about our freedoms, right? Um, and we completely forget about the fact that people serve, and people served, and people died for our freedom. So today, I want to pause. Um, I want to just challenge you to pause and to say thank you um, if you served If you're listening online right now and you served, thank you for your sacrifice. If you're a family member of someone who served, thank you for your sacrifice. Um, With sincere hearts today, we honor you. All right, November. Gosh, we're in November. So crazy. We're not currently in a, a sermon series right now. I'm doing a little jumping around this month. Last week, I preached on how to pray. Um, Today, I'll be teaching on renewal. And then next week, I'm going to preach on divorce. And then the, Nick and I were talking just on Thursday. Um, at the, the last Sunday of November, we're going to start a seven-week Christmas series called Through Their Eyes. And we're going to be looking at the different perspectives and vantage points of the Christmas story through the different characters, through their, through their perspectives. We, just, we were reading through the story and like, man, this would be fun to, to look at it through these guys and through these guys and through these guys. And Gabe yesterday, was, I was telling him, and he's like, so you're going to do the donkey or something like that? I'm like... <laughs> no, we're not. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. We start that the last Sunday of this month. <laughs> Today, though, we are going to tap into this idea of renewal. I want to preach a message entitled, Joining God in the Renewal of Me. Joining God in the Renewal of Me. And we're going to cover some good stuff today. I want to talk about organ donors. And I want to talk about politics. And I want to talk about one of my biggest issues with the church. And about nephish and salvation, and about hippos, and grapevines, and grace, and mirrors. That's what we're going to talk about today. You guys ready? (laughs) Let's jump in. I saw this bumper sticker on a car while I was driving, and it said, I support organ and tissue donating. And I started laughing, because you know what my first thought was? What if they're not a donor? (laughs) That would be funny, right? This world would be a better place if people donated. So I hope other people donate because I sure as heck ain't doing it. Not to mention, if enough people do it, I don't have to do it, right? You know what my next thought was? That reminds me of a lot of Christians. 
this world would be a better place if people reflected Jesus well. So I hope other people do it because I sure as heck ain't doing it. Not to mention if enough people do it, then I don't have to. Or let's jump over to the midterm elections. Anyone pay attention to that stuff this week? (laughs) Watching the news, scrolling through social media, conversations with friends, even strangers. It's electric and it's contagious. Anyone exhausted by it all though? I am. Here's the thing. I have this this love-hate relationship with politics. From, From an objective, distanced standpoint, I like politics. Literally translated, the affairs of the city. That's intriguing to me. But I also can't stand politics. It, it seems to be impossible to, be, to, to read news today, to find news today in our country without bias, without someone's agenda just laced through it. I want someone to tell me what's going on without telling me why they think it's going on or what I need to believe because of what it's going on. And the inflammatory nature of our political system, Right? The constant demonizing of the other, the, the lies, the division, it's exhausting just watching the whole thing. And you remember Gandhi's quote about Christians? I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's kind of how I feel about politics. I like our politics, I don't like our politicians. Our politicians are so unlike our politics. You see, I'm all for constructive policy and efficient government even for making America great again. I'm all for it. But to an outsider, someone who's not immersed in politics, it seems to me that too many of our politicians are more passionate about fixing everything around them than they are about fixing themselves. And it might be a little idealistic, but I can't help but wonder, would our political system be stronger? Would it be more effective? Would more people be cared for if politicians concern themselves with improving themselves. If politicians just took a year and got therapy and read books and talked to spiritual guides, if they took a year and did the deep work, the inner work, character, leadership, service, humility, generosity, would our country be in a better position? I think so. Now, I don't have degrees in politics or government, but I have a master's degree in leadership. And I know one thing about leadership. If you want to change something beyond you, the best place to start is by changing you. So what I'd like to say to all of our politicians serving our cities and our states and our nations after a very respectful thank you, honestly, after a respectful thank you, what I want to tell them is I don't, I actually don't care what you, what you, what you say you want to accomplish. I don't care how much you want to fix all the problems around you, if you don't care to look at your own problems. Because your ability to deal with the problems around you, it's intricately tied to your own problems. Now let's let's hold the mirror up for a second. I also can't help but wonder if people outside the church feel the same way about us. You Christians, would our religious, would would our spiritual climate be healthier? Would it be more effective? Would more people be cared for Spiritually, if Christians concern themselves with fixing themselves. I wonder if our non-Christians friends think, I actually don't care what you say you think you can accomplish. I don't care how much you want to fix everything around you, all the problems around you, if you don't care to look at your own problems. Because your, ad- your ability to deal with the problems around you, it's intricately tied to your problems. I wonder. 
I officiated Seth and Annie's wedding yesterday. They're in Kauai right now. Many people came up to me yesterday after the wedding. Many people with surprised looks on their faces. That was actually good. Many people, I'm not joking, started conversations with me wanting to talk about church, wanting to talk about Jesus, because I represented him in a way that was compelling rather than offensive. I was cutting into my steak. I'm just, I want to eat some dinner. I'm just cutting into my steak. It's a good steak, too. About to put it in my mouth, and this lady taps me on the shoulder. She's like, can I talk to you, Pastor? I was like, yeah, sure. So I stood up and introduced myself. She's this thin woman with glasses, and she's like, I don't like Christians. I don't like the church, but you kind of made me want to be a Christian. (laughs) She was pleasantly surprised. That's good, right? Or not. Many people were pleasantly surprised that a Christian could speak about Jesus in a way that was compelling. That should not be surprising. That should be the norm. This should be radically ordinary. If you haven't noticed, our city's not very fond of the church. And I get it. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd be thinking, you Christians, I hear you talking about wanting to improve everything, wanting to improve the world, but I never hear you talking about wanting to improve yourselves. I hear you talking about partnering with God in the renewal of our cities, but I never hear you talk about partnering with God in the renewal of you. And maybe... If you spent more time joining God and renewing you, you'd be more effective at joining God and renewing your city. If I was an outsider, that would be one of my biggest critiques of the church. So I want to address that today. If you've been around this church for any amount of time, you might be familiar with this phrase, joining God in the renewal of our city. And while it's a helpful phrase, um, it's biblical in concept even, what it can unintentionally communicate is that God cares more about renewing our city than he cares about renewing you. It's not the case. You see, yes, God is constantly at work renewing the elements of your life, all the elements that make up your life, your family members, your colleagues, your baristas, the Uber drivers that you, you get in the cars with, the neighbors, the, the L.A. school district, your industry, your entire industry even. Jesus wants to redeem all of it. So we ask, how can I participate with you, Jesus, in what you're already up to in the world around me? Not, not Jesus, join me, but Jesus, how can I join you in the work that you're doing? I'd like to submit this morning that, that you will be helpful to Jesus in renewing our city only to the extent that you allow him to renew you. So I've been chewing on this this last week. What does it look like to join God, not just in the renewal of our city, but in the renewal of me? Because me lives in our city. And if I want to change something beyond me, the best place to start is by changing me. So here's how I want to frame my sermon this morning. How do I, God, how do I frame this in a sense of, of joining God in the renewal of me? Or maybe more specific, what is my role in the renewal of me. And we're, I'm going to dig this morning. We're going to go like down into this question. And here's how I want to frame this. What you have the power to change, change. What you lack the power to change, surrender. And I'm going to unpack this this morning. You change the things that are within your realm of power. And then surrender the things that are beyond your realm of power. 
What you have the power to change, change what you lack the power to change, surrender. This is how we join God in the renewal of me. Now, when we talk about me, I'm going I'm to just break this part. I'm going to pull on this thread. When we talk about me, joining God in renewal of me. How I want to approach me this morning is with this concept of soul. And when we look at the Old Testament, this word for soul, this Hebrew word nephesh, it means all that makes me, me. It's, it's, it's my intellect, it's my will, my physical body, my dreams, my desires, my strengths, my fears. It's the entire makeup that God sees as me. It's my nephesh. I'm the, it's the whole thing. And I play a significant role in the renewal of me. You play a significant role in the renewal of your soul. You don't do it on your own, and God doesn't just do it. You don't sit on your couch and just say, God, go for it. Whatever you want to do, just make me whole. And we don't say, God, I got this. I'll call you when I need you. It's this joining God in the renewal of my soul. You play a massive role in it. He invites you to join him as, as he redeems you, as he renews you. Every part of you, all that makes you you. To participate with him in bringing heavenly life. That's what we talked about last week in prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Get heaven into me. Bring heaven down into my life. Dallas, I love Dallas Willard used to say, we spend too much time trying to get people into heaven, not enough time trying to get heaven into people. So how do we personalize this concept? You could say, don't worry about getting into heaven. Make your focus, make your aim getting heaven into you. How do we get heaven into you? How do you get heaven into you? You change what you have the power to change and surrender what you don't have the power to change. And to unpack this idea, I want to look at this interesting phrase we find in Scripture. It was written by this guy named Paul, and he put it in a letter to some Christian friends of his that lived in another city. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to put it up on the screen, and I'm just going to read it off here. This is in Philippians chapter 2. He wrote, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, the phrase I want to highlight in this is this, work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you. This is, re- this is really fascinating for me. Paul's got so much like thick good. He's a, he's a scholar. He's a Pharisee. He's a rabbi. He gets it. Like, this is good stuff right here. Work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you. This is precisely joining God in the renewal of you. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, meaning in awe. We're holding it with this respect, this high regard. There's something very serious going on. Work out your salvation for it is God who works in you. So how, do we, how does the renewal of soul happen? How does, how does soul renewal happen? You work out, God works in. You see that? You work out, God works in. So let's dig into this. What does it mean to work out your salvation? Because I, I, like I like to keep pulling it back. Like when we hear, anybody heard the term, the, the phrase, work out your salvation before? Maybe you've heard it before. And we're just like, sure, yeah, work out my salvation. Well, what, is, what does that mean? Right? Let's pull this apart. And maybe even to take a step further back, what does salvation mean? <laughs> just to assume everybody's on the same page when it comes to the idea of salvation because we're not. I tell you, the church is not clear on that. I don't want to assume we're on the same page because for far too long the church has communicated salvation means getting to heaven. That's a really thin definition of salvation. 
In fact, it seriously misses what Jesus preached. He came preaching a message of salvation, but it wasn't limited to getting to heaven. It actually was about getting heaven into you, if you want to come back around full circle to that. Jesus' concept of salvation was renewed life. It was renewal. Salvation means renewal. Jesus offers salvation. He offers wholeness. He offers renewal to broken and damaged life. This is what he's up to. So Paul comes along later and says, work out your salvation. Work out your renewal, your wholeness, your renewal. Work it out. Okay, so what does it mean to work it out? I want to give you just a really simple way to think of this. What does it mean to work out your salvation? You don't do certain things, and you do other certain things. (laughs) This is how we work out our salvation. You don't do certain things, and you do other certain things. Because there are things within our power that we can change. The do's and the don'ts. The don'ts and the do's. When you work out your salvation, it's a workout. You're entering into a training. It's actually the way Paul kind of phrases this. If you're looking through all of his stuff, it's like a training. It's like you're entering into a workout to build wholeness into your life. Which means you're going to need to drop some habits. Some broken ways of being in the world. And then you're also going to need to pick up some new habits, some wholesome ways of being in the world. And what it does is it creates space in you. It creates range and capacity in you to hold new life. Work out your salvation. Work out your renewal. I think of like a, anybody into cars? I wish I got into cars when I was younger, like to like rebuild cars. You know, like they go to a junkyard, you get an old junked 67 Mustang, and then they bring it back to their garage and they just start buying parts and working on it for years. And then they get a new paint job on it and they pull it out. And everybody's like, dang, that car's awesome. You should have seen it five years ago though, right? This is what God's doing. He's taking the old junk, the old junker, and he's saying there's all this, it's just, it's a mess. And I'm going to spend some time in the garage on this thing. And when this thing pulls out, people are going to be like, dang, you need to put that sucker in a parade, right? It's renewal of what's broken, what doesn't work. It doesn't even function, and it's definitely not beautiful. And he's putting wholeness into it. So when we work out our salvation, we're joining him in this work. We're going we're gonna to stop doing certain things, and we're going to start doing other certain things. So let's start with the don't do's. Human beings don't like to be told what they're allowed to do. Even from a young age, my three-year-old daughter, Aria, she lets me know this every single week. She's not a fan of being told what she's supposed to do. And we're, like, we're celebrating Veterans Day, right, this weekend. What, is it, what does it symbolize? Our freedom. Our culture loves freedom. Men and women died for your freedom. What does that mean? So do whatever you want. Don't let anyone tell you how to live your life, not even God. You get to choose your destiny. You get to determine your, your future. And God doesn't understand This is what our culture says. God doesn't understand how you feel. He doesn't understand what it's like to exist under his rules. Or he does understand and he's just cruel. You're free. Do what you want. That's what our our culture promotes. Just go for it. But if you're wise, you know freedom is not without authority. True freedom always exists under authority. Otherwise, we end up with anarchy. (laughs) Right? You let people just go. It's Lord of the Flies is what it is. If we're given total freedom with no authority, we end up destroying ourselves on the way to freedom. You see, the don'ts 
This is really important that we get this. The don'ts aren't just about morality. It's not just about right or wrong. They're not just about securing a spot in heaven and trying to avoid hell in the afterlife. The don'ts, the do's, are about heaven now. It's about life now. And God's rules is, oh, man, I, 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 part of what we're up to is just helping people see a clearer picture of God. And that's what actually our church started as clarity. And the whole point of it was like we want people to see a clear picture of God. God's rules are grounded in his compassion for us. Scripture shows God not to be cruel or limiting, but protective. He says, trust me, I invented the soul. I know what's best for it. I know how it thrives. Me saying no is actually for your benefit. So please stop doing things that break you down. Stop doing things that destroy your wholeness. Don't do unforgiveness. Don't do ranking people. Don't do lust. Don't do greed. Don't do self-promotion. You don't even realize how much this stuff is killing your soul. So he says, stop engaging in ways of life that destroy life. Partner with me in renewing you. I like to think of fences at a zoo. Naive or ignorant children, they might get frustrated that they can't go play with the hippos. What's with these fences? Doesn't the zookeeper care about us having fun and us being free? He says he built this for our enjoyment. But if you really cared, he'd take down all the fences and let us play with the hippos. How stupid, right? If this concern were brought to the zookeeper, what would the zookeeper say? (laughs) Don't you realize, young child, the fence is the only thing keeping you alive in here. I believe God looks at humanity. He says, don't you realize, young children, My suggestions for best living, these rules, these don'ts, they're the only thing keeping you alive in here. God's rules come from his compassion. I also want to add this here. My heart grieves every time I hear people say they love God, but they hate the church. That they're spiritual but not religious because they've been burned by the church. They've been burned by Christians We've screwed up, friends. we got to admit it. As a global church, we've hurt people. We need to ask forgiveness. And then we need to change because we represent Jesus. For some reason, God decided he wanted his church to tell the world what he's like. It seems crazy to me. Like, why wouldn't you just write stuff in the clouds? It seems ridiculous, but this is how God set it up. He wanted people to know what he's like because of how we act. It seems ludicrous, but he's probably got something figured out that I don't. Which means, whether or not we like it, if you claim to be a Christian, you reflect Jesus. So if you call yourself a Christian, but you act nothing like Jesus, stop telling people you're a Christian. And please don't tell people you go to our church. (laughs) There are definite don'ts that are required for renewal. Don't allow your greed to determine your future. Don't participate in the world's games of promotion and power. Don't treat people like objects. 
This stuff creates space in us for life, and it's supposed to represent Jesus well. Following Jesus, working out your salvation, it means you have to stop doing certain things that are destroying you because it sets you up for wholeness, and it reflects Jesus a certain way. Don't do's. You guys with me? Now, you have the power to stop doing things. This, again, we have the power to change things, so you change those things. You have the power to stop doing things. But unfortunately, far too many Christians are known simply for what they stand against rather than what they stand for. That's unhelpful. And they're often the loudest Christians. They know all the rules, all the don'ts. But if you're, if you're close to them, you realize they don't engage in any of the healthy do's or many of the healthy do's. You see, the goal of following Jesus is not don't sin today. Just like the goal of my marriage is not don't get divorced today. Right? It's not like we get to the end of the night and we high five. We didn't get divorced today. <laughs> right? The goal, of Jesus, the goal of following Jesus is pursuing intimacy. It's relationship that makes you whole. The goal is to order your life in such a way around God, in God, that it will cause your soul to flourish. Those are what healthy marriages do, right? Those are what healthy relationships with God do. So if we just have a list of don'ts, we reduce following Jesus down to sin management. Let's just sin less. And there's nothing compelling about that. You know any Christians that that's their, that's their, their soapbox that they stand on? Those are the ones that often stand outside the football games or the soccer games, right, with the big yellow signs, and it's just stop sin, you're going to hell. I've never seen someone come to Jesus because of that. I've never heard a testimony where somebody was like, man, I was just walking, I saw a sign and went, I want to follow Jesus now. That's not compelling, right? I mean, the don't do's are about like not destroying our life, but it's, it's not compelling. Following Jesus is about receiving new life. That impacts everything about the way you do life. It's not just dropping my old life. It's also putting on a new life. This is the language Paul uses many times in his letters. He's like, you, you take off the old self, you put off the old self, and you put on the new self. It's like when you put on some like really nice clothes. I got dressed up yesterday for this wedding. I love getting dressed up. I, I don't like wearing a tie on Sundays or wearing a suit on Sundays because some people walk in, you know, they're wearing jeans and it's intimidating or it just feels like I can't show up as I am. But I love wearing a suit and tie, black on black on black on black. I look good. JT, who? Serious. feels so good. You put a suit on and you're like, whoo. Any, any guys with me on that? just feels good, right? Ladies, you put a bomb dress on. Sometimes Amanda walks out in a dress and I'm like, dang. You, you look good, you feel good, you feel good, you play good, right? That's kind of how it is, right? You put on the new self. You're putting on these new things. And you're like, oh, I'm going to rise into that. I'm going to rise up to that. And, and stepping into new do's, it fills me with life. It fills me with hope and faith. It helps me come alive to the divine life that's in all of my life. God's not just in this room. He's not just in my Bible. He's in all of it. So along with the don't do these things comes, and then do these things. To work out our salvation, it means the addition of new language and new behaviors and new values, new friendships, new ways of ordering the world. We're not merely learning to not live like the world. We're also learning to live like Jesus lives. Jesus told his followers, if you abide in me, 
like a branch, like a branch on a grapevine that abides in the grapevine. It's actually the analogy he uses in John 15. Abide in me like branches abide in a vine. If you stay in me, if you make your home in me, if you root your life in me, I will cause you to bear good and glorious fruit. It's inevitable. And how healthy is a branch if it's laying down on the ground by itself? It's dying. Abide in me. If you hope to have any chance of good fruit in your life, it's got to be abiding in the vine. It's got to be an abiding life. life, life lived in Jesus, lived in his love for you. So one of the do's of working out our salvation is intimacy with Jesus. This is, preachers have like a couple hot coals in their bellies, and everything that they preach on comes back around to these few. One, two, three, four messages. For me, intimacy with Jesus. I'm not going to stop talking about it. It's like I can't, I can't preach a message and not come back to this. This is one of the do's in work out your salvation. Do you have any idea how much it would alter your life, the way it would change the way you relate to friends and strangers, even enemies, your, your ability to hold a deep abiding joy and contentment? Do you have any, any idea how much it would impact you if you just spent 10 minutes a day with Jesus? Something like five minutes reading scripture, five minutes praying, even every other day, 10 minutes with Jesus. You do that for a month, no doubt the world is going to drastically change for you. And here's what I find. The more intimate you become with Jesus, the easier it is and even the more enjoyable it is to do what he does. To extend grace to those who don't deserve it. To be radically generous with yourself and with your stuff. To choose joy in really trying situations, to be able to walk through challenge and grief and heartache and heartbreak, to celebrate another over ourselves. This is renewal. This is salvation. This is what Jesus invites us into with him. There's got to be an abiding level to it, an intimate level to it. And then we also engage in things like spiritual disciplines. And that language is older language, and people sometimes get afraid of it. It's like spiritual disciplines. Ugh. But it's, they're, they're spiritual exercises. They're really important do. They're powerful spiritual exercises that are part of our training. Things like prayer or fasting or reading scripture or silence and solitude, getting away and just being alone with the divine. Worship, service, celebration, confession. They're these exercises that as we practice them, they offer us new strength and new power to actually live like Jesus did. Remember, what you have the power to change, change it. What you lack the power to change, you surrender it. So when we work out our salvation, that's in the realm of our power. It's what you can change. Work it out. Change things. Don't do these things anymore. Do these things. You guys with me? Does this make sense? Cool. Okay, let's get to the second part now. The second part of the phrase, of Paul's phrase, for it is God who works in you. Work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you. You work out, God works in. How does this piece work? Our role in God working in us is surrender. God works in us. And our role in this is surrender. So as God works in us, we surrender to that work. 
God works in us as we surrender to that work. It's really important we get this part. God works in us as we surrender to that work. And this part of the equation is really hard to swallow because we have less power in it. We like control. Human beings like power. We like to be able to do something and see the effect of it. In working out, you don't do and you do certain things. You get to see the fruit of that. It's, it's kind of immediate sometimes too. But for God to work in us, we have to surrender. And I'll tell you why God does the work in us rather than us doing the work in us. It's because we have almost no power in our spiritual formation. The greatest power you carry in your spiritual formation, in, in you being renewed to be more like Christ, is saying yes. It's your greatest power. Your role is yielding. Your role is surrendering to God's work in you. And if you don't believe me, if you think you have more power than you actually do, let's just do a quick experiment. I'll show you how little power you actually have. Think about the worst part of you. The most ungodly, disgusting, shameful part of you. Maybe it's lust or your pride or unforgiveness or rage or that addiction you just can't get rid of. You got it in your mind? Whatever the worst part. You don't want to tell tell your grandma about this thing. Put it in your mind. Now just change. Make yourself never struggle with that thing ever again. You can't, right? Because if you could, you would. It would have been gone years ago. This is why we need God to work in us. Because transformative work that lasts, it's too deep for us to touch. Even for ourselves. It has to be a work of grace. And our role in grace is thank you. It's surrender. Because here's the thing about Jesus. He's a gentleman. He gave you free will. You get to do whatever you want. He will not come in and force transformation on you. He won't come in and force change on you. He never forces it on anyone. God honors your free will. So he offers transformation. He offers renewal. He offers a deep work in your soul. But you have to surrender to that work. And I'll tell you, in my opinion, one of the most frequent ways he does this, maybe, I I would even argue, maybe the most powerful, transformative, necessary ways he does this, and when you're, when you're in on this secret, when you're in on this mystery, it changes the whole game. It changes the way you filter situations, the way you treat people. The, it'll even change how fast you mature as a follower of Jesus. You want to know what it is? God wants to use everything you come into contact with in your life, every day, as a mirror. And these mirrors are intended to reflect back to you the parts of you that don't resemble Jesus. mirrors. You see, it's easy to, it's so easy to say this. I did this for a long time. It's easy to say, God, I give you permission to fix me. Transform all the ungodly parts that don't resemble you. Just go for it. It's easy to let God change the parts of you that you don't even know exist. Just while I'm sleeping, God, while I'm in my subconscious and I'm in a dream, I'm flying, eating Skittles, just do the deep work in me. Just go. I want to be like you. Just have your way in me. It's easy to say, God, just change the things in me that I don't even know are there. But it's a sacrifice. It's a deep surrender when he reveals to you how broken you are, how ungodly you are, and then says, can I have that? It's difficult to surrender your ego 
when God shows you through a relationship that you only really care about yourself. It's difficult to surrender your lack of faith or trust in him. When through this situation, he shows you, you trust your money more than you trust me. It's, gif- it's difficult to surrender your priorities to him when he reveals to you, you care far too much about peer validation. The most sig- I would argue the most significant way God works in us is revealing our flaws to us and then asking us to surrender them to him. He wants to change you. He wants to renew you. But he wants you to know how he changed you. And that change always goes deeper. That change always lasts longer when something in us dies. And this is where we get the idea of the altar. Anybody heard the term altar before? Like, come down to the altar, right? We even have a song, come to the altar. And it's, it's churchy language. It really is. I get that. But the idea of, it, of the altar is that if I'm going to come to the altar and give God a gift, something's going to die. And this is what surrender's about. God says, you're selfish. Can I have that? Can I have it? Right? <laughs> no? No? Okay. Can I have it? Can I have your number? No. Okay. There we go. Stop calling. Okay. Your ego. Your greed. I want to hold up. A, I'm going to hold this up to you, so so you see it. So throughout your day, he's attempting to use people and situations, even inanimate objects, to reveal to you where you don't resemble him, so that you can surrender it to him. That makes sense. This is happening all day long, every day, but few people are paying attention to it. God's inviting you to see the mirrors: your boss, your neighbor, your dog, your breakfast. Losing your job, swimming in the ocean, writing code, laying down for a nap, it's all purposed to reflect back to you how you poorly reflect Jesus. And this is the most important part of it. It's not so you can fix the problem, because you can't fix the problem. You could change your dues, but it doesn't change who you are. A peeled orange is still an orange. There's got to be an internal transformation, and you can't do that. So what God asks of us is that we will admit that we can't fix that. Surrender. We don't have the power to transform our character. We can change behavior. We can't change our character. So we surrender it. God works in us as we surrender to that work. I want to invite up Shantae and a couple people for prayer um, that I've talked to. We're going to go into a time of response in worship, we always respond to God. We never start. We never initiate. God is doing. We respond. So we're going to play a song. I've got, we've got two prayers up here that are ready and willing and desiring to stand with you in prayer. If you've got something going on in your life that you need prayer for, that you want someone to stand with you in, they can I'm going to close with just a couple of thoughts. What you have the power to change, change. What you lack the power to change, surrender. You do what you can and don't what you can. And then surrender to God what he alone can do. This is how we join God in the renewal of me. 
And what I found to be like the really cool part about this is that as I join God in the renewal of me, it always moves outward. It's how God set this thing up. As we are renewed, our city is renewed. Because God's work, it always moves beyond us. If you want, if you want to make an impact, if you want to make an impact on the people around you, you got to let God make an impact in you. If you want to move beyond you, you got to let change happen in you. And the best place to start is by changing you, by joining God in the renewal of you. Joining God in the renewal of me and a community of me's that have been renewed will always impact our city, every time. So we talk about joining God in the renewal of our city, but it has to start with joining God in the renewal of us. So that's my prayer over you this week, that you would change what you can change and that you would surrender what you can't in order that our church may be a blessing to the people who make up our city. Amen? Yeah. Would you pray over us as we go into this Mm -hmm. time of response and worship? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the word that was given for today. We thank you for for just being used and obedient, Lord God, to hearing your word and allowing us to receive it, Lord God. Lord God, let us begin to, to do what it is that we can, Lord God. Let us pray. Let us spend time with you, Lord. Put it on our hearts to have more of an intimate relationship with you. To talk to our Father, our friend, the one who loves us so much and is passionate about us. And then let us surrender our hearts totally to you, God. We love you, Lord. Let us walk in your will and your way. In Jesus' name.